Hello and welcome to this podcast version of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the business week ending 23rd September 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This time, a look at Alzheimer's drug development, US-China decoupling irks Chinese biotech firms, seven potential blockbuster approvals in 2023, Novo Nordisk's cardiovascular strategy, and a look at the vaccine and drug pipeline for monkeypox. While biopharma chatter around impending major phase three results can get overheated, it is safe to say that readouts expected in late 2022 and early 2023 for three Alzheimer's candidates will be a landmark moment for the pharma industry and for millions of patients, whatever their outcome. Andrew McConaughey writes the trio of beta-amyloid antibody therapies are all being studied in beta-amyloid-positive patients with early Alzheimer's. The readouts will begin with Biogen and Azai's lecanemab, expected in late September, followed by Roche's gantanerumab in the fourth quarter, and then Eli Lilly's donanemab by mid-2023. All three are seen as being at very high risk of failure or of producing inconclusive results, as dozens of earlier drugs in the class have failed. But a clear positive phase 3 result would help move the field on from the false dawn of Biogen and Azai's earlier beta-amyloid drug, Adrihelm, which was approved in the US despite a lack of clear evidence of clinical benefits at phase 3. In recent weeks, executives at Azai, Biogen, Lilly and Roche have been questioned extensively about their respective candidates and likely scenarios as a readouts approach. So which of the candidates is most advanced? This is one of the few questions with a clear-cut answer. Azai and Biogen's lecanemab. Azai completed its rolling BLA in the US for accelerated approval in May, and the FDA accepted it and granted priority review in July, setting a 6th January action date. An accelerated review could allow Azai to gain approval based on a surrogate endpoint, beta amyloid clearance, as was the case with Adrihelm. However, unlike the earlier drug, Azai and Biogen expect efficacy data from their Clarity AD study in time for filing in late September. If the study achieves its primary efficacy endpoint, slowing of disease progression, the FDA has agreed that this could allow a full rather than accelerated approval. So lecanemab leads, but which drug looks most likely to succeed? A number of analysts believe Lilly's donanimab has the greatest chance of success based on Phase 2 data and the design of its Phase 3 study, Trailblazer ALZ2. Lilly's drug demonstrated the most rapid lowering of beta-amyloid levels in the brain over a 76-week period based on the product's respective Phase 2 studies and met the primary endpoint of change from baseline to 76 weeks in IADRS slowing decline by a statistically significant 32% relative to placebo. The full article provides further in-depth analysis, which is too extensive to detail here, and also looks at questions including what level of efficacy Lilly is hoping for, how do Azai and Biogen and Roche's candidates compare, what if the drugs just miss their endpoints, what about US reimbursement and pricing, which companies have the most riding on the readouts, and if they can bring clinical benefits, how much can the drugs earn? Goldman Sachs has predicted the US Alzheimer's market could be worth up to $20 billion annually, 
Answers about how that market will shape up will start to be answered in the next few weeks with those Clarity AD top-line results for Lecanemab. Business confidence within the Chinese biotech contract manufacturing sector is being shattered by the Biden administration's latest move to encourage investment in U.S. domestic biotech manufacturing capabilities. Brian Yang writes that an executive order issued by the U.S. president on 12 September aims to secure U.S. biologics manufacturing and supply chains, and the message is clear. Washington is shoring up support for key industry sectors such as semiconductors and now biotech and will work with its own industries to better compete with China. The order sent shockwaves through the biologics manufacturing sphere in China. A major firm, Wuxi Aptec subsidiary, Wuxi Biologics, along with Pharmaron Beijing and Hangzhou Tigermad, saw their share prices tumble. The US initiative, intended strategically to ensure biotechnologies invented in the US are made in the US, indicates yet further decoupling with China, the world's second largest economy. Major Chinese contract development and manufacturing organisations, such as Wuxi Biologics, provide a full range of services to multinationals, as well as Chinese domestic biotechs. Wuxi has a large chunk of international business, mainly focused on the US, and other Chinese CDMOs also court US clients. While Biden's order aims to bring jobs back to America, along with improving national supply chain security, some say a possible switch of contract manufacturers can't happen overnight. So far, over 70% of drug ingredient manufacturing facilities registered with the US FDA are outside the US, 13% of which are in China. The country is also the largest supplier of drug ingredients to India, a major provider of finished generics to the US pharma market. The complexity of drug supply chains means the Biden order may have limited impact on the Chinese CDMO sector, but the move nevertheless highlights a need to diversify away from current sole supply sourcing strategies on both sides. Drew Thompson, who is a visiting senior research fellow at the National University of Singapore, Lee Kuan Yew School of Policy, told Scrip in a written response that key policy experts see the latest US order as an opportunity to draw attention to China's own dual circulation macroeconomic policy. The policy and the Chinese President Xi Jinping is about its goal to lessen China's dependence on global markets while making global markets more dependent on China, Thompson said. US businesses need to be aware of this and will therefore have to quickly adapt to new realities of US-China competition that feature greater government integration and industrial policies such as this EO, that emphasise national security over globalisation and free markets, Thompson added. After highlighting oncology drugs pegged to make a splash next year with the help of Biomedtracker, Scrip now takes a look at seven potential blockbusters across a range of therapeutic areas, including neurology, dermatology and blood disorders, which are slated for approval next year. Kicking off the list in Aisha Sharma's article are three anti-amyloid antibody candidates vying to become an effective new treatment for Alzheimer's disease. As we've already heard, these are led by Azai and Biogen's Lecanemab, and further behind in the clinic is Roche's Gantanerumab, which has faced several setbacks in its development, including two failed late-stage trials in very early and pre-symptomatic stages of AD. 
Outside Alzheimer's, several gene therapy candidates in the haemophilia space are set to make their debut next year, starting with CSL and partner Unicure's Entranadez for haemophilia B. The adeno-associated virus A5-based treatment has been filed in both the US and EU on the back of data from the Phase 3 HOPE B trial. Meanwhile, Biomarin Pharmaceuticals' Roctavian is the one to watch for haemophilia A, which is more common than haemophilia B and affects an estimated 20,000 people in the US alone. In the cardiovascular space, Johnson & Johnson and partner Idorsia are planning to submit a US filing for their systemic hypertension candidate, Aprocitentan, towards the end of the year. Lastly, in the dermatology arena, Eli Lilly and partner Almirol have Lebricizumab for atomic dermatitis, which could bring competition for Sanofi's mega-blockbuster Dupixent, following US and EU filings planned for the end of this year. Best known as the world's largest diabetes company, it made sense that Novo Nordisk would increase its research efforts in the cardiovascular space, building on its learnings over the past decade. So said Head of Development, Martin Holst-Langer, in an interview with Scripps Kevin Grogan after the doors closed on the recent European Society of Cardiology meeting. At the Congress, held in Barcelona, Novo put the spotlight on Ziltivecumab, the lead candidate at US biotech Corvidia Therapeutics, which was acquired by the Danish group in June 2020 for $725 million up front and is the first fully human anti-IL-6 ligand monoclonal antibody. In May last year, Novo reported promising results from the Phase II rescue study, in which the drug showed a dramatic reduction of multiple inflammatory biomarkers associated with atherosclerosis in people with advanced chronic kidney disease and elevated high-sensitivity C-reactive protein. Novo is currently recruiting for ZEUS, which is a large-scale Phase three cardiovascular outcomes trial, which will enrol around 6,000 people with cardiovascular disease, CKD and inflammation, to further assess the potential of ziltivecumab. The ZEUS data are expected in 2025, but attention in the nearer term will be on SELECT, Novo's cardiovascular outcomes trial of the high-profile weight loss drug Wagovi in 17,500 people with obesity. Data are now due in the third quarter of 2023. Langer said that from a pathophysiology perspective, Cardiovascular disease is very closely related to obesity and diabetes. We build from the core, so we don't branch out into areas where we are completely in the dark, and that has proven to be a super robust approach, he said. He added that you could say the same thing about NASH, non-alcoholic cetohepatitis, which is very closely related to cardiometabolic syndrome. In April last year, Novo initiated a phase 3 study called ESSENCE, which is evaluating Wagovi in NASH. Novo's recent approach to rare diseases follows a similar path. The division was recently split into rare blood disorders and rare endocrine disorders to reflect the company's expansion outside haemophilia and growth disorders. Here, it's the same thing, Langer said, where we stay within adjacent areas that we know and can readily branch out of from an R&D and commercial perspective. Finally, Alaric Diamant and Aisha Sharma take a look at the current pipeline of drugs and vaccines for monkeypox. While global infection rates, 
The WHO reported 52,996 cases across 102 countries between 1st January and 7th September are showing signs of plateauing. Large-scale growth of infections is still possible. Health authorities have rapidly mobilised to address the outbreak. On the plus side, monkeypox is a DNA virus, which makes it more genetically stable than an RNA virus like SARS-CoV-2 and thus less likely to spawn variants. The virus's spread also requires close contact with infected lesions, bodily fluids or respiratory droplets, and people tend not to be infectious until they are symptomatic. A small pipeline of dragon vaccine candidates has now emerged, many of them repurposed products originally developed for smallpox, despite some hitches in getting programmes off the ground. The two leading products in terms of stage of development are Bavarian Nordic's vaccine Genios, which is marketed as Invenex in Europe, which has regulatory approval for smallpox and monkeypox, as well as Seeger Technologies therapeutic T-Pox, which has US FDA approval for smallpox and is under an expanded access protocol, as well as in multiple clinical trials for monkeypox. Other product candidates remain largely in the preclinical stage. Sanofi's replicating virus smallpox vaccine, ACAM2000, is under an expanded access protocol in the US for monkeypox, and Emergent Biosolutions makes and delivers between 18 and 20 million doses to the US every year. Nighthawk Biosciences has also executed a R&D license agreement with Lytic Solutions to fund a research program to develop a subunit monkeypox vaccine using Lytic's development platform. Meanwhile, Tonics Pharmaceuticals plans to start a phase one study of its live virus vaccine candidate TNX801 in the first half of 2023, but is focusing on Kenya rather than developed markets. While the monkeypox vaccine pipeline dwarfs its counterpart for drugs to treat existing infections, a small handful of contenders has emerged nonetheless. Seeger's T-pox is the furthest along and already has FDA approval for smallpox and has been given an expanded access protocol for monkeypox as well. While the company had initially sought to secure an EUA without clinical data in monkeypox, based on the reasonable likelihood of T-pox's efficacy in that disease, it's now focusing on clinical trials around the world instead. The well of drugs in development for monkeypox otherwise lacks the richness and depth of the vaccines. Chimerics said in its second quarter earnings results last month that in vitro studies of the drug Tembexa showed promise against monkeypox with 100% protection in mouse models. The FDA approved Tembexa as a medical countermeasure for smallpox in June 2021 and Chimerics sold worldwide rights to Emergent Biosolutions in May of this year. Meanwhile, Hyundai Bioscience said in May that it would seek fast-track processing from the FDA for CPCOV03, its broad-spectrum antiviral that it originally developed for COVID-19, hoping to rely on the animal rule. This allows the FDA to approve drugs based on animal data in situations where conducting clinical trials would be infeasible or unethical. That's all for this time. Many thanks for listening. All these articles are linked in the story accompanying this podcast and form just a fraction of those published in Script last week. Log in to access all our content or take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.